Hey, I'm Alex. I'm Brandon. Hey, Brandon, do you remember when QAnon believers still had the hope that Trump was playing 4D chess and would swoop in at the last moment to remove Joe Biden, a known satanic baby's blood drinker at the 11th hour? I still think do Biden is just Donald Trump wearing a mask. I totally agree. But do you remember, Polly Sai? Oh, that was so, oh, wow. You just really nailed the high note there. That was fantastic. Wow, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I have the vocal cords of a 12-year-old, Alex. I know. Well, so do I. And that's, you know, together we're 24 years old uh, on the audio track. And that is incredible. People love it. You know, one thing I think about, you remember you remember when I used to smoke cigarettes? Remember how that was a thing? Oh I my actually, God, how did you smoke cigarettes? I, I don't no understand idea. how you did that. Wow. I, I, I was, think I actually often think about what I would be like, what my voice would sound like, what my health would be like. Like, and I'm just very thankful that that's not been a part of my life for a very, very long time. Yeah. And honestly, you know, no, we're not trying to cast any shade on anybody who is smoking. There is help available. 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Lozenges, gum. You know, I, I if you're definitely... a smoker, you're complete trash. Stop that, Brandon. I have a lot of <laughs> great kidding. friends who are. Well, most people don't smoke these days, though. Most people are, are using the jewel, hitting the vape. That's the thing. It is funny when, the you vapors. See, when you see somebody actually smoking an actual cigarette. It is sort of weird, right? Because you just it's expect totally people weird. to be yeah, sucking the e-juice. But, you know, yeah, the, e, the e-juice is just as addictive. Um, it's Electronic juice. What a weird. <laughs> that's, like, think about that. <laughs> what does that even it's mean? very modern. Like, you need to have your drone fly over and deliver your little e-cigarette to is you in your house. Like when you put your tongue on a nine volt battery, it gives you that mild shock. Is that what electronic juice tastes I find, like? I, I find that sensation very pleasant for some reason. I've always loved yeah. putting my tongue on a nine volt. I don't know why. I don't know why. This is a great start to the pod. Oh my God, this is so political. So, I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. I mean, the world is changing ever so quickly and it's incredible. But you and I have not podcasted since the inauguration. And so we're going to have to go back in time a little bit. And I do want to talk about it a little bit, if that's okay with you. Yeah, no, for sure. It was a huge deal it's the All first right. podcast with president biden that's president that's biden oh that sounds so good president joe biden <laughs> it's like a comforted like it's like a comforting weighted blanket on he's your a soul. lucky leprechaun up there <laughs> oh my lord so we're gonna kick it off with news you can use Ow! that's right so that inauguration was just totally amazing i i loved it did you get to actually watch the inauguration i definitely did it's funny because you know, I was at work, uh, working from home, but I was. Uh, oh, working. so you were like, you were, you were not, you were on the clock getting paid to use your private time to watch the inauguration. Is that part of your job? No, I have some unpaid breaks I can take. And there were definitely a bunch of us who were doing that. Like there was a Zoom okay. call directly before Biden got on. And all of us were like, you know, a lot of this stuff can wait until next week because we kind of want to just peek at the inauguration. So I think a lot of us either had it up in the corner or were taking some breaks to check in with it or watching. Like part of it, Cassie and I watched later, but it sounds like you chuck it out, too. Oh, yeah, I definitely watched it. I mean, a couple interesting things I have to comment on was just how uplifting it was compared to Trump's inauguration. I don't know if oh, you yeah. remember Trump. I mean, uh, well, he, I was his... in Washington, D.C. for that, if you recall. Did, was there like a dark cloud of black like gathered over the White House? <laughs> there was a, a, a pale cloud of red hatted people all up in the D.C. metro and all crawling around. Like now the day after was the Women's March, which was completely oh. uplifting and rad. But yeah, the inauguration yes. was um, 
Odd. It's funny that you mentioned shout out to women for saving the country again. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. It's funny that you say dark cloud. Do you know the difference in the weather between the inauguration in 16 and the inauguration this time or the inauguration? Yeah, I think every inauguration. I mean, most of the inaugurations are rainy in Washington, D.C. just because of the time of year. But of course, famously, you know, water was falling everywhere. It was a big storm when Trump got up there and screamed about American carnage stops here and stops now. Now. And George W. Bush, who was in attendance, was famously noted to have leaned over and said, that was some weird shit. <laughs> well, it's fun. It definitely was. And it's actually funny. One of the first lies of the Trump presidency is that he said that the clouds broke and the sun came oh, out when he was talking. Yes. I was there. It oh, literally began yes. raining almost the moment he took the stage. Like he's it was so he's so ill. I mean, he's so ill, but let's, let's leave him in the dust because Biden's inauguration was uplifting. It was hopeful. He had incredible musical guests. He had an incredible young poet who was incredibly inspiring. Um, and the big theme of the inauguration was it, it, Joe Biden wasn't celebrating this as if it was some personal win. He he was trying to help us all come together and celebrate a change for the country. That was the big take home for me. Nothing says change for the country like getting Garth Brooks on stage. <laughs> Shout out to Garth Brooks. He did OK. Um, he was you know what was amazing about Garth Brooks? He he like shook Joe Biden and Joe Biden's hand and then he kind of had to hustle back and, and and Bill Clinton and Hillary were there and he was like, oh, I got to go give them a hug. And then and then he went and then George Bush was like, what about me? George W. Bush. So <laughs> it was almost like he was reaching across the aisle for us. Um, it was interesting how the right wing media took that. I mean, there were so many posts about how Garth Brooks is totally sold out. We're never going to go, you know, see Garth Brooks again. He's totally cuckold. And they just are un totally unwilling, unable to meet for a moment, for an instant and and come together as a country. They just immediately shifted gears to we're the aggrieved, you know, uh, party that's out of power. And we're going to spend the next few years just tearing Joe Biden down. They They just had to revert to that immediately. It made me really sad. Yeah, it. I mean, predictable though. And to I mean, to your point about Joe Biden's inaugural address too, I thought he did a really good job. He struck a balance between here's something new coming in, there's some optimism, there's things to look forward to, and also just sort of recognizing the somberness of the moment with so many hundreds of thousands of people dead from COVID and it not really being under control yet. And, right. you know, the insurrection attempt that happened just a couple weeks before. And I thought that he did a really good job of kind of straddling that line between there's something to look forward to. And also let's recognize where we are now. Um, and one more shout out to Amanda Gorman is her name, the, the mm -hmm. poet who gave the uh, inaugural um, uh, poem reading it what that that performance that uh it, that delivery if you haven't seen it yet you really need to google it and check it out um she wrote that poem specifically for the day and it kind of reminds me i mean the having a poet at the at the inauguration is not super new i think that the first did we talk about this the first poet was robert frost um and i think it was for Oh, whose inauguration was it? Was it for Kennedy's inauguration? Um, that would make sense probably time-wise because I, I heard that Robert Frost was the second youngest poet ever to be at an inauguration. He was, I believe, in his 30s, early 30s. But um, Gorman, I mean, is, I think she's, oh, sorry, is she I 21? 
Oh, uh, no, fact check me. Sure. Yeah. Amanda, Amanda Gorman, uh, 21. That's correct. Um, no, Robert Frost was was up in age, actually, at that point. And it, it, there's an interesting story behind that because it was so sunny and snowy on the ground. He had a poem written specifically for the inauguration. He didn't want to do it. Um, but he was sort of asked to, could you please create something for the inauguration specifically? He sort of relented. He gave in. And this, the, the sun was reflecting off the snow. Uh, Vice President Lyndon Johnson tried to come over and sort of block the glare so that Robert Frost could read his poem. He couldn't read it. And so instead... He gave a poem from memory uh, rather than the poem that he wrote specifically for the inauguration. I just think that's an interesting story. Um, but yeah, having a, po a, a poet there is not particularly, um, it's not something we've had for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's relatively contemporary. Right. And Trump definitely didn't have a poet from what I remember. Um, in fact, the whole Trump movement <laughs> Does he know was what really, a poem is? it was really about how aggrieved and angry we are and how we want to basically tear everything up. That's basically what Trump's movement was and what it will continue to be. What I want to, start talking about now is Joe Biden, President Biden. He has made some really big moves. Obviously, he has got Wait a, minute, a can huge... You, can you, I'm sorry, Alex. Could you repeat oh. that? Who who are you talking about again? What's his title? President O. Biden. Oh, President. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I know, it rolls off the tongue. It, it really <laughs> felt like Trump would never... I mean, Trump intended never to be removed. We have to understand. <laughs> yeah, for we sure. Have to, no, we really have to accept that. And we also have to put that into context of how dangerous it is that, you know, we need to talk. We're going to obviously have to talk a little bit about the, the trial in the Senate for Trump's impeachment and how that's probably going nowhere. But it he is going to continue to be a very dangerous force in this country. And we just need to remember, take a breath. I mean, we nearly lost our democracy and we nearly had President Trump or one of his family members for, you know, probably indefinitely. It, I think that was Trump's plan. Clearly, I mean, he made it clear that it was. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if we actually get into this and maybe this is good for the next episode. The more information that comes out about what happened on January 6th during that insurrection attempt, the more disturbing it becomes. The newest piece of news, I don't have it here, I'm going from memory, my understanding is that the Capitol Police were explicitly instructed not to prevent the protesters from moving freely that they were not given the equipment that they would need in order to hold people back. This is something that we had speculated about, Alex. We had speculated whether I, the yeah, Capitol I had no I, I had no doubt. I mean, if you watch the videos, there's actually an incredible database of these videos, ProPublica, you know, the the media um, sort of they, they watch me, the media environment. They they do research um, and they publish basically public information that should be public that often needs to be requested through um various mechanisms, but ProPublica has a database of every video from uh, inside those insurrection protests. And if you watch the behavior of the police, uh, they were oftentimes obsequious and just sort of shifting aside to let this crowd through. Um, obviously, famously, you know, there's been members of the police who were wearing MAGA hats and some of them argued we had no choice. And I think some of them were outnumbered. Obviously, there's there's some hero hero police officers and, and you know, one police officer died and many were physically beaten, you know, but it's clear that there were people on the inside who were aware of this. And the FBI is now starting to prosecute this case as as a episode of conspiracy, which clearly it was, you know, clearly it was. Yeah. 
and that's the thing is like the more information that comes out about this, the more you can directly tie the um, the threat of accountability back to Donald Trump. And I agree with you that unfortunately it doesn't seem like the trial in the Senate is going to be, I don't think it's going to end in Trump being convicted, which is absolutely shameful, but it ought to. And I, I also don't know what, Democrats can do to really hold the people accountable who need to be held accountable outside of the people who were inside of the Capitol. The question has to be begged, how did they get there, right? And that, again, the reports about the Capitol Police were directed not to mess with those folks. Who gave those orders? Were there senators or representatives who were encouraging this stuff? All that's really important. This should, again, like we say this a lot, this shouldn't be partisan. This should be about common shared values of wanting to preserve democracy and wanting to preserve the, the the functions of that democracy seems like it should be pretty important to everybody. Okay, so I, I want to get back to news we can use in a minute, but I really want to parse this with you because we've gone there already, and it, it seems... Oh, we very, went there. Yeah, you, you went there. It, it seems prescient. We need to discuss this. Okay, look at the Republican Party right now. Okay, look. It is Ugh. not a... It is, no, Looks Brandon, awful, Alex. <laughs> it is not a party of conservative fiscal principles. It is a cult of personality party that is centered around Donald Trump. Basically, Mitch McConnell put a finger in the wind after the insurrection. He called Trump out on the floor of the Senate. He wanted to see if a, if a movement would build to abandon Trump. That movement did not materialize. The reason that movement is not materializing is Donald Trump is the beating heart of the Republican Party. He is the energy. He is the personality. He is the direction that the base of the party, the voters, the, you know, the people who reliably will turn out Republican, that is where those people want to go. The Republicans have a big, big, big problem, and that issue is they are not going to be able to continue winning elections if people are allowed to vote. So for the next two years, what you're going to see, and in my opinion, I think the way that I'm sort of reading this is the Republican Party will not distance themselves from Donald Trump. They will try to remove people's access to voting as much as possible and hope that they can win back the House and or Senate in 2022. And they if they are able to do that, um, I think it's going to be very dark times for our country. So Democrats, I think our job is to focus on being the party of democracy, being the party of voting rights and to make it clear to the American public that voter suppression will not stand. And how that is where we are. So and, you know, to your point about Mitch McConnell kind of testing which way the wind was blowing and deciding, well, better to stay with Trump, which is... Yeah, you said, oh, he came out of the turtle shell. He went right back in because... Yeah, his little nobody, head just snapped right back in there, yeah. I mean, you've nope. seen Republican, you know, Republican caucuses all over the country, including in Oregon, censuring members, House members, who voted for the impeachment. You know, there, there is, again, you want to talk about collusion. Donald Trump had a tighter grip on that party than anyone thought, and that's what we're now learning. Yeah, and... Like to to your point about McConnell kind of testing where the wind blows, how is it that we get people to believe that they ought to vote for Democrats and their ideas? For example, you know, ideas like, hey, everybody should have the ability to vote, right? That's what a crazy idea. But but we're talking about protecting the integrity of our elections. Well, how do we do that if we don't have the votes to do it? 
we have to, we, I keep saying this collective, it's like, I'm not even a Democrat, but the Democratic Party must demonstrate to people that if you elect Democrats, that something good happens. It's well, really, yes. a, it's as simple Correct. as that. And yep. if you don't, if you get bogged down in the weeds of, well, if we chip away this piece over here and we compromise this piece over here and we wait nine months and I mean, we can talk more about like the stimulus checks, but if you do all that and people are not feeling and seeing something good happening, they're going to be left with a bad impression of your party. And meanwhile, you have a Republican party that has historically for the past decade, two decades for a long time has prevented good things from happening if they thought that it would shine positively on the Democratic Party, right? The Republican Party will obstruct things to harm people if they think it will also harm how people view the Democratic Party. That is a very difficult dynamic to overcome. And I have to, I have to say, this is something I thought about a lot. Is it that Democrats don't have to focus so much on bipartisanship, but that they need to do stuff and, and somehow make it okay for Republicans to not obstruct it so much? It's a difficult thing, but at the end of the day, you need to deliver. You need to show people that you're doing stuff. If you don't do that, people are not going to vote for you. It's really simple as that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think this idea that, you know, Democrats are going to convince people who voted for Trump to come over to the Democratic Party. They're not. They're not going to do that. What we need to focus on is turning out our voters because we have more voters in the Demo on the Democratic side. We need to try and maintain the Biden coalition of people who came together, supporters of Warren, Bernie, I mean, a, a, a panoply, right? Like there's a there's a wide breadth of thought with it within the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, not so much. You're either with Trump or against him. And they have drilled down on that. And you should everyone listening to this podcast, everyone in this country should understand that is the tactics of totalitarian dictatorships all around the world to basically become the only viable option for a government. The truth is, and I hate saying this because it feels like it feels like an insult, but Republican, the Republican Party writ large does not believe in democracy anymore. They they don't want to share power. They have proven that time and time again. And so Democrats have no choice but to move forward in a way that broadens our democracy and give America, give the American people the tools they need to vote and, and put the ball back in their court. Luckily, we were successful this time, but it's incredible how close to the precipice we still are. I mean, even with Joe Biden being president of the United States currently. It is. It's terrifying. And with that, there is some good news. We're talking about, you know, accountability being important to not be repeating these mistakes. Uh, this is something you put in the notes. So apologies if I'm stomping on your landing. Uh, but that Rudy Giuliani. Ouch, is, you just stomped on my landing. I, don't, I know you and the kids just went <laughs> snowboarding yesterday, so I needed to get a snowboarding reference in there. Oh, my God. That was so awesome. And I apologize if my voice sounds a little husky. I did a lot of, hey, over here, over here. Hey, how are you guys doing? But yes, my uh, three and five year old both got up on snowboards and we rode down the hill many times. And it, honestly, as a as a dad, it was one of my favorite days ever. I loved it so much. That's really cool. I, I look forward to the day that we can all go to together and I will just shred them and I'm going to kick their ass and be like, check that out, Sky. Yeah, eat my dust. No. Um, but you, they, sound, you sound like Bart Simpson. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Uh, my speaking shorts. of accountability, speaking of accountability, yeah. the Lincoln Project is suing 
Rudy Giuliani. Oh, over not Karudi, not Kaludi Rudy. Rudy Kaludi is being sued by the Lincoln Project over his claims about the Capitol riots. This comes after Giuliani is also being sued for over a billion dollars by Dominion. Remember, they were in the news a lot. Wah, wah, the, wah, Dominion wah, was the wah. focus of a lot of Republican lies about lies. how their machines yes. handle the election. So Straight Giuliani up. is now being sued by multiple parties for <laughs> lying about this stuff, which Love I it. think is is really, really important, right? Like, in order to get to a place where we're all dealing with one common reality that we can have different opinions about, not multiple different realities that exist at the same time somehow, we need to be able to hold people accountable and they lie about stuff. And Rudy Giuliani looks like hopefully he will be held accountable for lying. And I think that that's really important. I think it also sets a precedent for what may come for other people who also lied about the election, namely Donald Trump himself. So, OK, and to back up that point, um, of course, Sidney Powell, the other you know shady lawyer who was making these claims about Dominion, is also being sued for one point three billion. There may be another lawsuit in the works to sue Trump himself, hopefully for all of his buildings. I don't know. And then Rudy Giuliani is under scrutiny. The Supreme Court in New York's attorney's office has filed an official grievance um, to disbar him, which probably doesn't matter because it sounds like he's a pretty shitty lawyer at this point from, you know, early podcasts, earlier podcasts. We were talking about how he wasn't aware of common, you know, legal um, jargon in in some of these trials he was involved with. Well, he basically conducted himself like a fool. But other lawyers that they're going to see that and and that matters again, like if you are practicing law and you lie and you misuse the judicial system, there ought to be consequences like the fact that it's good, I guess, on, on the one hand, that during the election, there were 60 plus election related lawsuits around multiple states that were all slapped down. Okay, that's good. On the other hand, that's an example of the deep state, Brandon. Clearly, it's mm-hmm. the deep state. I have to go off on the rails just for a moment. So I was on um, Patriots.win, which previously Patriots. was win. Yes, you can go there if you like. So it started on Reddit as the Donald and then Reddit banned it and it turned into Donald.win. And it is a message board where some of uh, the ultra right wing gather to discuss how much they love Donald Trump and how much so they they refer to him as as Gotis, some not POTUS because he's not president anymore. Um, Gotis or something like that. God Emperor of the United States. That's how they're referring to Trump on these right wing messaging boards, just so you know. And um, L. Lynn Wood, one of Trump's shady lawyers, posted a audio clip of some random guy who was not identified talking about how the chief justice of the United States, John Roberts, is involved in this QAnon child sex uh, cabal and that Mike Pence is involved and that um, they had plans to execute all the other members of the Supreme Court um, with with Nancy Pelosi. And just just talking very matterfully, matter of factly about this, this misinformation movement of utter insanity is going nowhere. I just have to throw that out there. People need to be aware of how insidious this is. This is still going on today. It's not over. Yeah. And this goes way beyond this. Go, like this is a, a fun house mirror of criticisms oh, that yes. have been levied against political opponents in every country for a long time. And it's just particularly frustrating to see it get this bad that there are so many people who buy into this 
I, we talked last episode about like how earnestly do people believe some of this stuff or do they just pretend to believe it because they kind of like Donald Trump and they like the movement. And so they're, oh, yeah, like I'll say that I believe this stuff even if they really don't. And it's just it's so frustrating. I think it's also funny. There's like a comment about this kind of misinformation and disinformation that I heard that it's like, you know, all of the warnings that our parents gave us about video games and what video games would do to us has been done to our parents' generation by Facebook, right? Like, I, I think that's a really succinct way of putting it. Seriously, oh, my like, God, that's amazing. I mean, it, it's true. It's it's almost like, you know, you could compare it to the coronavirus pandemic. Our social immune system wasn't built for the level and the pervasiveness of misinformation that is now possible, you know, over the Internet. I, I really do believe that the older generation fell into this because they they weren't aware of how to vet some of this information. But let me let me just offer a quick solution. Okay. Occam's razor, right? If something sounds utterly insane, it's probably not true. Just start applying that to every conspiracy theory that you hear and come join us in reality. That's all you need to do. Right. If it sounds fucking nuts it's fucking nuts that's all you need to know and, and and again like the the more i've thought about this it's in this moment the moment that joe biden and democrats have right now the best way to cut through some of this stuff is to demonstrate things that actually help people like and it doesn't mean that you're going to peel off 70 million people who voted for trump that's not the point the point is that like building a common reality from which we can all operate begins by what people feel and see and experience in their own lives. And again, it, there's a lot to overcome with Republicans being completely okay with obstructing and look, it's worked out for them. I mean, to your point earlier about Republicans have to figure out ways to get fewer people to vote in order for Republicans to continue winning elections. They also have to figure out how to make things not happen in order to further their argument that government is bad and therefore you should elect me into this government that doesn't work and then they continue not making it work and then you should, like, it's just, it's a really disgusting cycle. So making things happen, that's probably, the more I think about it, the best way to break this. Yes, the wrecking crew. That's what the Republicans have been for a while. Okay, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to go back to Joe Biden. We're going to talk about making things happen, making things work. Um, we, we can talk a little bit about executive orders, and that's mostly what Biden has been able to push through so far. And I have a huge list of them that I want to go through. And obviously, we don't need to dissect each one. But really quickly for the people, Brandon, what is an executive order and how do presidents use these? Uh, wow, putting me on the spot. So I'm going to yes. give you my... I'm going to give you my understanding. You tell me. So okay. you have three branches of government. You have a legislative, an executive, and a judicial, right? The way it's supposed to work, legislative passes stuff. The executive executes those things, and the judiciary gives their opinion on whether those things are constitutional. That's essentially how it works. What an executive order does, it uses the power of the presidency of the executive office in order to say, hey, you know this thing that the legislature passed? This is how I want it executed. Because with any policy, with any law, with any rule, you can decide how you want to implement it. You can decide how you know funding may be allocated. You can decide where you want your discretion to lie or where you want it to not lie. So for example, you can sign an executive order that directs agencies to execute a particular law in a certain way. And that has a very, very profound effect on the outcome, right? Because we think, oh, you pass a law, 
that law must be very specific about exactly how it's going to be executed. That's not true. And so the presidency has a lot of power in basically deciding, okay, this law that the legislature passed, this is how I want you to steer it. That's kind of my best common way to explain it. My God, that was just absolutely perfect. Excellent work, Brandon. That is why I pay you to be here. Thank you so much. Man, I'm getting uh, rich off this. <laughs> getting that okay. game stock money. So game stonk, we're getting to that. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the powers of the of the presidency are vast, right? It's 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 you can also you can craft policy somewhat through these executive orders by changing the way that the government functions. And I want to talk about how Biden has done that. So COVID-19 response um, executive orders. He has started a 100 days masking challenge. Um, this is going to require people to wear masks on federal property. Um, Pete Buttigieg, who we argued about, and I'm glad that he is the trans transportation secretary. He's going to extend this to any sort of uh, transportation, public transportation, which is federally run buses, trains. Uh, I don't know. We don't have uh, independent Scooters. drones yet. Yeah, scoot, <laughs> federal scooter program. Um, you can just stop me on any of these that you want to pick apart a little bit. Um, Joe Biden is also going to restructure federal government coordination for COVID-19 pandemic, including bringing back the Obama era Directorate for Global Health Security and Biodefense. You know, that little agency that Trump eliminated uh, a couple of years, actually just months into his White House stint, just uh, a couple of years before COVID-19 changed the world forever. Biden is bringing that back. We are also rejoining the World Health Organization. That seems like a pretty good thing to do during a pandemic, I would say. That is so um, wild that we could not have been involved. Like it just how is that even a thing that we were not in the WHO recording? Because with them? America first. America first. Oh. I think it really comes down to Donald Trump's absolute detest for any sort of oversight over him and his inept government. And if I sound a little angry saying that, it's because I am. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, you you're be. involved, you're involved in an international organization. You know, you might eventually get some feedback saying, hey, United States, why do you suck? Why do you have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's COVID cases. So yeah, Donald Trump doesn't want to be in the World Health Organization because he sucks and he sucks at health, right? Okay, that's basically what it is. So <laughs> sorry, I know that was that was pretty crude, but sometimes you just need a little bit of uh, just guttural emotional reaction to this stuff, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. Did you mention the action he took on student loan payments? That affects people oh, like I, me. I didn't even I got into. OK, so financial relief for Americans. Yep. Student loan payments. What's what's the action, Brandon? Well, he basically the U.S. government had paused the um, requirement that students repay their loans. Um, and if they don't pay their loans, you usually have to pay interest on that. Right. Or you do have to pay interest on that, even if you are paying them. So basically, if you're like me and you have student loans that are federally financed, you don't have to pay those until September 30 of this year. And you don't have to pay, pay interest on them. So that like that's a big deal for again, like you're thinking about ways in which we can relieve the financial burden off of people during this extraordinary time and removing the requirement that people continue paying their loans is one way to to offer some relief now it should be it should be noted that biden still wants to cancel some amount of student yep. loans but 10,000 10,000 clams brandon that's a lot of clams it's a lot of clams and there's been some discussion on whether he could just do more than that and do it by himself but biden wants that piece to go through congress so that you know the the small step to kind of uh Pause the requirement for people to repay their loans in the meantime is better than nothing, I suppose. 
Yeah, exactly. And and he's also extending eviction and foreclosure foreclosure moratoriums so people can stay in their houses. That's pretty awesome. Um, with regard to the environment, we're rejoining the the Paris Climate Agreement, which I think is a really good step. You know, John, uh, Joe Biden has named John Kerry as the climate change czar. I hate that title. I don't even know what it means, but I guess he's sort of the guy who is going to coordinate the government's response to climate change. Brandon, climate change is real. I'm tired of hearing you say that the climate always changes regardless of human activity. And Very we all know say. for a fact <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to hash that out again. Um, OK, here's one that's kind of interesting. He ended the Keystone XL pipeline um, development, revoked development on that as it was going to go through some national wildlife monuments. And Canada's not super happy. Um, you know, one of our, our good neighbors to the north, Justin Trudeau, with his beautiful beard, uh, reacted in a very polite way of saying that uh, I, I respectfully disagree with this decision. <laughs> yeah. I what mean do you think about this, Brandon? I think it's a big deal. And just to get a little further into weeds on this, the Keystone pipeline has been in development since the very end of the Bush era. There have been multiple stages to it. Uh, under the Obama administration, they approved one of those stages. And then later on, they put a pause on it. Trump, there's So this last stage... Um, Wait, let me just like let me just crudely describe that what Keystone XL pipeline will do is pump icky, sticky, gooey tar juice out of the tar sands of Canada and move it into the United States so that I can gas up my Ford F-150, which yeah. I do own. Exactly. And I, <laughs> I, I do. I love my Ford F-150. I'll just say that right now. But my next Ford F-150 is going to be 100 percent electric. And join me if you like high torque and four wheel drive with four independent electric motors. Oh, my God. That's 10 years off. <laughs> I, I think it's important to note about the Keystone Pipeline. There are a couple things. One, there is already oil flowing between the U.S. and Canada. So that's already happening. It's not like this is the one and only um, pipeline that can do that, too. Well, currently, a lot of it moves in train cars. Did you know that? There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of it is is overground shipping, which is also a little bit dangerous, right? If the train derails or something. So there's some argument on which uh, particular method of transportation is actually more deleterious to the environment. But that's a discussion for another time. And yeah, continue. That, that's fair. And then some of the development that will be halted now was going to go through native land, was going to go through national monuments that Trump said could be developed in order to create this pipeline. And look, like the Keystone Pipeline, there have been, and, there, and you know, a couple of years ago, were very active protests there, specifically about the sovereignty of native peoples and their ability to have or not have influence in these kinds of decisions that directly affect them and their ancestral land. And so, even if you uh, even when you understand that what Biden did to end this part of this pipeline's development is not going to again it's not going to end all of the oil transferring between the two countries but you understand that there are lots of different interwoven issues that Trump didn't care about, right? All he cared about, all Trump ever cares about is how do we make more money? How do you blah, blah, blah. Like, that's all he cares about. The fact that Biden took this action. I think, I think he cares about his hair as well. Well, he spends money on his hair. So there's a direct connection there too. <laughs> yeah, so there all go. this is just to say that this, again, it, it's not like it's a game changing thing, but for some people it is, first of all, and second of all, it's just reflective of a more thoughtful and more inclusive approach to policy in general from Biden. And Biden has put a moratorium on new gas leasing on federal lands. It's important to note that this is, it, I guess, in mineral rights law, which is a very interesting, you know, whole discipline in mineral in law. rights. 
Mineral rights law, right? I know. Like, gas what about is not vitamin a mineral. rights law, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Just minerals now. <laughs> I guess so. I, I, it's it, you know, there's water rights, mineral rights, and it pertains to who owns the land on which we're going to develop. You know, either gas pipelines or we're going to go mining for certain. You know, whatever feedstocks we're looking for. There is a ton of land that has already been leased out to private companies that they can still develop. So it's not like it's going to like the way that the right wing media is painting this. They're they're making it seem like there's going to be no new development, but there's tons of land that's available for development that the companies haven't even started looking at yet. All this is going to do is temporarily pause new leases while we reevaluate how long are we going to power our Ford F-150s on sticky dinosaur juice? That's the question, right? We know that the more carbon we put into the atmosphere, the warmer the earth is going to get, the more we're going to change the climate. So maybe it's time we start listening to Elon Musk and have cool electronic electric vehicles rather than gas guzzling vehicles. Um, so I, mean, I, would, a, I would take it a step further. And I know this is not what we're discussing, but just to throw out there, yeah. I think we should take it a step further and reimagine how people get from point A to point B in their daily lives. And maybe we should reimagine people not being in their own personalized giant metal bubble, no matter how we power it, no matter how we manufacture it, because right. roadways and cars are extremely damaging to the social fabric. They hurt cities. They've been hurting cities for a long time. And I think that that's something maybe for a different episode. If we talk, if we dig into more of what Pete Buttigieg is going to do as secretary of transportation, rethinking the car itself which is so ingrained in generations of American thinking, and it's very, very hard to untangle. But yeah, you're right. The, all, all right, all right, city slicker. I know you live in Portland, you know, which is a, uh, a left-wing bastion. But, you know, we went snowboarding uh, yesterday, and we drove through some pretty rural places. You know, what if you live... 50 miles out of Eugene in a town of 300 people. What are you going to do? You're going to have a bus go there? Are you going to, you know, segue? Cars yeah, I'm are not, part. I'm not saying that nobody has a car. I'm just saying that when you look at all of the trips that all of the people make by vehicle and you start, well, geez, if we had better, more consistent, cleaner, more reliable mass transportation, if we had safer bike lanes, if we had more abilities to to rent bikes that have electric assist and had places that you could put your groceries, for example, that how many car trips could we eliminate? How could we rethink our streets? How we could rethink our cities? Like, yeah, like all that is really important. So no, I'm not saying that you go and take everybody's car. I'm just saying that the default- If, right you, if you try to take my Ford F-150, you're going to have to pry it from my cold dead hands, Brandon. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just thinking like, like <sighs> yes, like uh, it's important that we start- imagining how we could live a little bit differently. And just, again, just the fact that I can look out my window and I see Interstate 5, I see I-5, I see the Markham Bridge packed full of single occupancy vehicles. Knowing no, I, I hear you. I, yeah, I totally hear you. Yeah, I agree. And I, obviously, I'm someone who bike commutes. I mean, I, I rarely drive unless I need to, A, go up to a mountain, which I love, or B, go shopping and carry lots of stuff or have the kids with me or whatever. So I prefer to be on my bike. And, but I also understand part of the uh, part of the travesty of what's going on in America right now is this rural versus city sort of mentality. And so I'm just trying to 
trying to, you know, let the other side know I'm thinking about you, too. You know, I'm thinking about how rural people live. So well, I mean, let's I, move just one more quick thing, like talking oh, OK, about, OK, you, you want to argue how we can think about our rural neighbors. If we had, for example, a park and ride, if you lived in a rural community and you were able to drive to a nearby city that had direct access to high speed rail or had direct access to like a high speed bus that had Wi-Fi and it was less expensive than owning and maintaining a car. Like, I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's like. It's important to note that we basically, by default, if you live in America, you need to have a car, you need to pay for its repairs, you need to pay for its gas, you need to pay for its storage, you need to pay for its insurance. Like, it's a it's a huge burden that if we were to fundamentally rethink, it's 2021, how we structure our cities and our rural communities, that there's a partnership there we should be mindful of. And I just, that thinking needs to be broadened. So that's all. Anyway, back oh, to no, Biden's I, I executive mean, orders. When you, when you were saying that, I'm just picturing a self-driving electric vehicle rideshare collective in these little towns with like, you know, 10, uh, 10 cars available. You subscribe for a monthly fee. I mean, yeah, the idea that you wouldn't have to maintain your own vehicle. We spend an exorbitant amount of money doing that, right? Yeah. Buying tires, you know, having to do oil changes, whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely room to reimagine that idea that you have to own your own vehicle. I'm definitely open to that. So let's move on to human rights. I mean, Biden has has issued a number of executive orders to advance uh, racial equality through the federal government. In fact, during his inauguration, he's the first uh, president to actually bring up the term white supremacy, you know, use that term specifically in modern times. I don't know if it's ever been used. So I, I think it means a lot to many of us that he's he's putting this front and center on his agenda. Um, he's doing a number of things, including <laughs> did you hear about Trump's 1776 commission? Did you hear about that? Yeah, and I heard Biden nixed it, which is great. Oh, man. So this was like, you know, Donald Trump and, you know, people who follow Trumpism are so offended by the idea that, you know, the great race that they're part of may have done anything bad ever and so resistant to the idea of looking at our place in history and seeing how we may have wronged people and how, you know, structural racism may play a role in people's lives. They're so offended by that idea that they they had to put together this commission um, to study how incredible white people are is essentially what it was. It's like the most awful thing ever. And if Trump had won the presidency, they were going to try and institute some like government trainings into uh, basically this this idea that like Western Western chauvinism, right, which is a term that the Proud Boys invented. And they weren't using that term specifically, but they were essentially going to teach Western chauvinism to government employees. That was their goal, which is utterly frightening. Yeah, it is. Utterly frightening. Um, so they're going to count non-citizens in the U.S. Census again. This is such an interesting thing to think about. People who are in this country who are non-citizens but are working, are they our neighbors? Are they part of our economy? Are they part of our world? I just answered my own question. But right. uh, basically, yeah. So they're going to count those people because they're here. Um, and, you know, Biden has been very focused on immigration and trying to find a path to citizenship for folks who are living here and working here already. How do you feel about that, Brandon? I, I think it's really important. And to your point about the census, it's blatantly unconstitutional to not count people who are undocumented in the country. The Constitution makes the Constitution talks about the census and makes clear that it says to count everybody who is within a state's borders. That's all it. persons. All persons. persons. So right. it's like it's 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 pretty clear on that. And I just like 
obviously you go back to Republicans wanting to disenfranchise people in order to win elections. Yeah. Like if you are limiting how many people are being counted in certain states, if you look at where the highest apportionment of undocumented immigration is, it just so happens to be in more liberal states and more liberal districts because that's where the resources are, right? So it's like that, It's all of this kind of, it goes back to a Republican party and a former president who wanted to maintain and uphold white supremacy. And there's really no two ways about it. We shouldn't mince words about that. We need to just be totally upfront with it. That's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the people who, who marched on the Capitol. You, you know what they were, where they were coming from by the right. flags they held. So Biden is also strengthening workplace discrimination protections. Um, he's going to bat for the LGBTQ community. He's lifting the ban on transgender folks serving in the military, which is fantastic. If you want to be in the military, I don't think it should matter who you are. Right. If, if you're if you're wanting to serve your country, you should be able to serve your country. Um, and it's just ridiculous that that has become a flashpoint for for certain people. It's just a very simple problem right. for me. Let people serve if they want to serve. Let them serve. Um, a little bit more on immigration. You know, we talked about he's defending dreamers. He ended the Muslim travel ban, which that's that's not the official term for it. But he restricted travel and immigration from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, Yemen, um, Eritrea. Uh, Nigeria, Myanmar, Kyrgyzstan. Okay, these are all countries with high proportions of um, Muslim folk living there. And this meant that if you had someone living in the United States, like a family member, you couldn't come visit them. Right. <laughs> and which was a purely performative act that Trump took, which again was racist in both its intent and execution, because the U.S. already has a really robust way of allowing people in and out of the country. If you meet those criteria, you should be allowed into the country. That's it. Like there, there should be no two ways about it. And like to your point, like how many American citizens have families who live in those countries who then couldn't have their families visit them. That's unconscionable. And again, like, like it's, it's pointless too. And oh, by the way, it also has a, a real economic impact. If you are supposedly the shining city on the hill, you know, a country that other people look up to, you want to have free travel. You want people to come here and learn and study and spend money and enjoy the sites and all of that stuff. You know, we don't we don't want this whole idea of like we want to be a giant, you know, gated community. That's not how countries maintain power on the world stage. That's just not how it's done. Right. I mean, isn't it like we want the best and the brightest to come to America and right. help our country become greater if that's what they want to do? So, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, ex exactly. So um, he is also Biden through executive action, changed Trump's arrest priorities for immigration and customs enfor enforcement. Um, so, you know, obviously he's reversed uh, some some of the policies of uh, family separation. Trump had already reversed some of those, but now they're putting a, a huge precedent on never allowing that to happen again. Right. Border wall construction has been halted, um, much to the chagrin of the construction companies working with Trump. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's like it's how much power does the president have? Well, Trump was able to declare a national emergency, which then allowed them to divert money to build his little pet project. Right. So it's that you, you we talk about the, the checks and balances of the executive, the legislative, the ju judiciary. And there are times that the president has a lot of power. And this is one of those times. And uh, yeah, I think this one is. 
particularly, it's funny that like on this list of different different executive orders that this one has maybe the least amount of information on it, but is so central to how Trump got elected in the first place. That was the one issue that really catapulted Trump to the national oh stage. Was simpler times, right? Yeah, the problem was times. people were streaming across the border. Yeah, this. Come on. This, I mean, for Jesus. Yeah, this this lie that. There are so many problems in America that would be solved if only we could build a ginormous wall between yeah. ourselves and Mexico is so utterly childish and facile and ridiculous. And it's good to see that the funding for that is now ending. Yeah, it's just it, it's ridiculous. And a wall's not going to work anyway. People can climb over the wall. People can dig under the wall. People can cut through the wall. It's stupid. It's a stupid idea. It was always stupid. Um, a couple other things on this list that I have regulation um, through executive action. Biden is freezing last minute Trump administration regulatory actions. Fantastic. Good. Freezing all of those. And then this is actually my favorite one. The one at the end of the list. Ethics. Formulate an executive branch ethics doctrine. Mr. Biden wants every executive <laughs> branch appointee to sign an ethics pledge, and they want to uphold the independence of the Department of Justice. Thank you. Now, this is the reason why it's so important that that Joe Biden won. He has four years to put in place further policies to strengthen the federal government against another possible assault by Trump. Trump may be back, Brandon. I'm I'm increasingly concerned that that may be the case. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a huge threat. And here's one more that's not on the list. That oh. it's, this one's kind of breaking news as of maybe My a couple goodness. days ago. That the Biden administration is moving forward with the creation of a bipartisan commission to study reforms to the Supreme Court and the judiciary, right? So its specific mandate is still being decided. So exactly what this commission is going to look into and the recommendations that they're going to be charged with developing, that's yet to be decided. But essentially, this is a really good thing, especially from an institutionalist like Joe Biden. What he's saying is, look, you know, we want to look at why did this country create a Supreme Court in the first place, right? Why does this country have all of these different federal judges. What is their role? What is the nomination process? How large are these courts, right? Like how, so I think that this is extremely important and it's sort of a, a sideways tilt and a, a wink to the conversations about expanding the Supreme Court because President Trump lost the popular vote. He was in office for one term. He was impeached twice. And yet he, by the way, total loser. He, total loser he was able to appoint <laughs> he three, lost like a he lost like a dog like a dog that's <laughs> insulting to dogs dogs are cute i know i love dogs but he was able to appoint not one not two but three people to lifetime appointment appointments on uh, the supreme court which yeah. is such a critical institution in maintaining our democracy and so i like that biden is looking into this and alex just to kind of recap we went through a list of executive actions, a non-exhaustive list that yeah. Biden has already put into place right. in just a couple of weeks. I think we went through, you know, a, a dozen or more, like 18 of these things. Um, do you think that the president should have this much power to enact this much change all by themselves? Uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about executive action, um, the way that it's been used recently, you know, in modern history is when uh, a president from another party comes in, they use executive action to basically turn everything over that the previous president signed in with executive action. Right. So, I, I mean, I think it's worth looking at. But for now, I think it's kind of the only way that 
presidents can really get a lot done because of the gridlock in in the Senate. I mean, that's really the problem is, you know, we have this filibuster rule. It makes it very difficult to pass legislation. So I think overall, you know, there needs to be some more oversight of it. I think Joe Biden is, is you know, executing <laughs> these executive actions with that in mind. Well, you know, in particular. Oh, yeah. Well, in you particular. Know I, oh, go no, for it. Sorry. I, no, I know. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, were you going to say that you enjoy um, bacon and eggs for breakfast? No, I was not going to say that. Oh, oh, what were you going to say? Sorry. I know. I'm sorry. I, I did have some eggs for breakfast, though. It was pretty good. And also, we have some. Uh, uh, Cassie has been maintaining the sourdough starter, and so we made some sourdough pancakes oh. yesterday. We had some extra batter, oh. so I had a couple eggs and a oh. pancake this morning. It was great. Um, what yes. I think Biden ought to do is the same thing he's doing with this commission looking at the judiciary. He should absolutely be pushing for a commission to examine the executive branch and the powers of the executive branch and the functions and the power of the legislative branch. Here's what I mean. We have seen norm after political norm be discarded, shoved aside by Republicans and by Donald Trump specifically over the years. Mitch McConnell is a master at using norms in order to get what he wants and then ignoring them when he doesn't get what he wants. What we should do is have a bipartisan commission, but that's fine if it's both parties, look at, well, geez, how is it that we want our legislature to function what norms ought to be hard and fast rules what should the threshold be to get stuff passed ought we make a distinction between different kinds of policies and maybe have different thresholds i mean we think about the the filibuster that you are able to filibuster certain things and not other things that for example like using budget reconciliation to be able to change some things about the budget and and enact some policies but not other kinds of policies why don't we get this all out of the dark and into the open and we really evaluate look it's 2021 american democracy depends on a functioning executive a functioning judiciary a functioning legislature i would love to have a comprehensive look at all the different rules policies and norms that maybe should just be codified or maybe should just be thrown away i think that'd be a really good thing yeah i mean what you said sounds so reasonable but um the base of the republican party right now believes that high level democrats drink the blood of young children and keep them as sex slaves that's literally what they think there's members of congress who believe that it's it's we're in a really really tough spot to have i wouldn't recommend inviting those particular members of congress to this commission (laughs) right i mean so the, the function of that of 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 making up lies like that is to essentially shut down any possibility of bipartisanship or discussion. You're demonizing the other side. We need to get away from this. I'm going to move us really quickly because I really want to get to the game stonk thing. Um, but I want to <laughs> just your 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 bullet point here about Trump. You know, he's his impeachment is going to start uh, his impeachment uh, trial in the Senate is going to start what February 9th or something. His entire defense team just quit. Five of them. There were five. <laughs> they all quit. That wah, is wah. bad. I mean, that means Trump was asking for something bad. We know that's what based on history. We know that's what that means. From what I have read, it means Trump was trying to make this trial about how the election was stolen from him again, because, you know, if Trump Trump wants to be on TV again, right, this is his big opportunity to be back on TV and be the center of attention where he loves to be. And it needs to be because he has been so wronged. I think Donald Trump can tell this lie so many times and so fervently that he actually believes it. I think he actually believes it by now. He dude is just totally insane. And you wrote, I want, I want you to, to read off what you wrote here. Cause it's so funny. I just want to laugh when you read it. Wait, which part? 
the part about who who uh, oh. Steve Bannon thinks Trump should go to the Senate to represent him. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty funny. Steve Bannon apparently, uh, oh lord, he is uh. Trump's former chief strategist thinks that the former president should go to the Senate himself because, <laughs> quote, he's the only one who can sell it. However, aides are reportedly against the idea. I just think it's like, I'm, I just, everything please, about this, like, that's fine. Please, like, hey, please. yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. Get Do you Trump know to, how, you know how easy it would be to get Trump to perjure himself if he went to the Senate? <laughs> well, please. actually, you know what's so interesting, though? You oh, should, I, maybe you have, and I, I don't, there is audio of Trump being deposed, right? So he has been in depositions before. This one was about Trump University. I'll make it really quick. The point is that the the, the lawyer was asking Trump whether he was familiar with these instructors at Trump University. Trump University was accused of defrauding people um, from their money, um, of their money. And basically... Trump was able in that deposition, he was able to both say, oh, yeah, we had amazing instructors. They were great. They were totally legit. And then as the guy was reading off individual names, Trump was like, "Ah, oh, you know, it's just so much time has passed. I don't really remember them. Oh, yeah. Gee. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I'm not I'm not, I'm not really sure. So, yeah. like, it's just funny to the, Trump when he is on a microphone. Uh, when there is legal consequences is is maybe a little bit different from what we generally see in public and so he's i wonder he's a slippery he's a slippery bastard i, I, just I mean i've said it before the he's, senate would be a little different than we'd expect maybe uh, i just want him to go away he's so awful anyway well, let's, let's talk about biden on. then more well i want to talk about game stonk because we don't have a whole lot of time left and i think there's really something to this story wait let's I, let's do this then uh i am going to i'm going to bequeath our time that we were going to talk about Democrats winning Georgia and what that means for, for Joe Biden. Let's hold that for the next episode so we can really dig into game stock. Oh, totally. Okay. This is so interesting because there are societal financial implications. We can talk about capitalism. So do you want to give the recap? Because I know you've been following this because you are a Redditor. Um, this games <laughs> where I'm calling it game stonk now, but GameStop, which is a, a company that basically what they sell and rent video games to people. Is that what they do? Yes, that's, that's exactly what they do. So the, do you want me to set the table or you, I don't know if you were no, setting no, the I table. You to, you, should no, we get I the kids to set, to set the, the table? table? I mean, are they old enough to do that yet? Um, uh, guys, guys, can you talk to us about GameStop? Here's, no, I had nothing. Here, here's the, the table setting for this is that, yes, you're right. There's a company called GameStop. They do. They, they buy and sell used and new video games. It should be noted that basically anybody who's a gamer doesn't like GameStop because they've been ripping people <laughs> off for a long time. Right. So that's the funny part about this. They're, I mean, also, it's a brick and mortar store. And like, I don't know about you, but like the vast majority of video games that I bought, I just go to the online store and click buy, put in my credit card and download it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know, really go. I don't really go to a store to buy a video game. Right. So uh, so essentially what was happening is this company's stock was very, very low. And some people on a Reddit because community, because this company's business is very, very low. <laughs> well, I have an interesting take on this. It sounds like we're going to we're going to argue a little bit about this, but their stock Heck was yeah, really low. Are. Right. And yeah. so these hedge funds, they were doing what was called short selling. They were putting in orders for more stock than even existed for the company. They were short selling, which means essentially the, the layman's definition. And you can tell me if I get this wrong. They were buying GameStop stock from people saying, I'll give it back to you later. So they'd buy it. They would sell it right away. 
and then they would hope that the price would go down so they could buy it back cheaper and give it back to the person that they originally bought it from. Now, and keep the difference, right? And, and keep, keep the, the difference. difference. And that's how so they if make it's, money. So if it's $1 per share, then you know they get to keep that dollar and give the stock back. But the problem is they are beholden to that person they got the stock from, and they do need to give it back. They do need to give it back. I think that the, there's either time limits on that that you agreed to beforehand, or the person who owns the stock can say, give it back to me right now. So a Reddit community called, I think it was called Wall Street Bets, caught, Wall wind, Street Bets. caught, caught wind that this was happening. There's actually one guy in particular who went into in-depth analysis months before about how he thought that GameStop was actually a pretty good stock to buy because their management had turned over, because they actually had a pretty good uh, debt-to-income ratio, because there were, you know, PlayStation 5 and the, X, the new Xbox were coming online, because people are still spending a lot of time inside. It was his thought that actually GameStop was being valued less than it was actually worth. And they kind of took that plus the fact that these hedge fund managers were driving the price of the stock down. And they basically said, hey, everybody, if we all buy this stock, we can completely fuck over these hedge fund managers. We can drive up the price of this stock to the point where the hedge fund managers, when they're going to buy the stock back, they need to then buy it back at a higher price, which means their losses could be potentially infinite, right? If, to back to your example, if you buy a stock at a dollar and then you, you sell it and you need to buy it back in order to give the stock back, well, that stock, if it rises forever and you eventually have to buy it back, th that means that your losses can literally be infinite, right? Because there's no ceiling to the price of the stock. So basically, the, the price of the stock went from like $4 to like $350 a share just astronomical um so here we I, i'm actually looking at the ticker on it so january okay. 12th you know gamestop corp is 19.95 per share and then it basically closed last week on friday at 325 dollars per share <laughs> which is just it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um <laughs> and the way that this the way that this was pulled off is you know people in these reddit forums they can all sort of they can they can act as a crowd right they can basically all make the decision and these folks are being encouraged to go all in i mean people people who are subscribing to this theory were like put all your life savings in whether it's ten thousand twenty thousand dollars there's been examples of people paying off their college debt with this you know investing a couple hundred dollars and then coming out with thousands ahead right and the problem is uh you know all of these individuals are making money but the hedge fund operators are losing money. And what I read last week, last Friday, is that they had already lost eight billion dollars because of bets they had oh, made I think on it was I think it's actually 80. I think it was eight zero. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so it's a huge amount of money, right? Huge and, amount of money. And to be clear, too, like if you look at the historical trend of this stock back in September, it was at like four dollars and then it kind of bumped up to double digits. It was hovering around, like you said, 15. And then there was another giant spike a couple days ago. So this actually had been sort of low key in the works for a while. It just happened to all kind of come to the fore all at once. Oh, you're right. It's like it's like four or five dollars until September 1st. It goes up to seven and it's like this 
very slow line until you get to, you know, early January. And then it's just exponential. I mean, it's yeah. just basically a skyrocket. So that's when it blew up. You know? So what do you, what is your take on this? I don't know if you had any more context to set the table. So that's that's pretty much it. You have a bunch of Redditors trying to fuck over hedge fund managers. I think it's hilarious. But what what is your when you hear about this, what's your initial take on it? So, OK, I want to just bring something up. You know who else doesn't like this is Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if you've read, you know, she wants this to be looked into. She thinks that this sort of thing shouldn't be happening on the stock market. It creates volatility. Personally, my my philosophy is if you're making money, you should be adding value to society. And I don't really understand why these short sells are even legal. They don't seem to add any. I mean, right. it's a bet, right? It's just it's people playing with money. I mean, you could argue it's a financial instrument and, you know, people have the right to use their money as they see fit. But we have a Securities and Exchange Commission to monitor for manipulations of the stock market. And I think that this is a distortion, right, of the stock market. It, it absolutely is. You know, there's a classic sort of fraud on the stock market called a pump and dump, which is where a wealthy investor will basically start buying a bunch of stock. And then other people kind of notice that and say, oh, my God, this stock is going so good. I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest. And then the original person who started the pump and dump sells all their stock and makes a ton of money. Right. There are so many variations on that. I mean, the average person really can't understand a lot of these instruments that have been created. And my personal belief is that, you know, I, I go to work, I clock in, I perform a job, I clock out. That's how I make my money. I have some money in retirement and mutual funds and stocks, but it's sort of managed for me. I, I don't I don't like this. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I like the idea of people who think they're 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 too smart to lose money, losing 80 billion dollars. I kind of like that, you know, as a right. Robin Hood type thing. But I mean, overall, is that good for the stability of your financial system? Probably not. <laughs> I think you're taking a, a broad view of this. And I think that's appropriate. I want to start a little more narrow, which is to say the the kind of the thrust of this again is a wealth redistribution from hedge fund managers to the common person that part i like the part yeah, that i do I understand that. the part i like about this is that people are within their rules are able to get something from the system that for so long and and almost in in, in exclusivity has benefited wealthy people and now you have normal you know not super wealthy people banding together and being able to profit from that themselves that part of it i like i am with you though that the 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 whole assumption or the um the underpinning of our markets right is so speculative to your point short selling ought not be allowed. Like when we learned about stocks in elementary school, I remember that when, you know, attending Garfield elementary school that we did like a thing. It's like you pick a stock and you follow it. The whole point as I remember it was that if you think a company is doing well or going to do well, then you put a little bit of money into it so that they can do more stuff. And if they do well, then you make some money. Like that makes sense. It's like, Oh, like you're helping out these companies to do what they do, what they want to do because they're really good at what they do or they have a really good product. Like if that is how the stock market worked, like it would look a lot different than it looks today. The stuff like yes, short selling, hoping that the price will go down and speculation, that kind of stuff I think should be regulated out of existence. But the thing that's frustrating, in this particular episode is you saw apps like trading apps like Robinhood and others that as soon as GameStop, GameStop started to 
go up. They restricted people from buying any more of it. And even more than that, Alex, they didn't just restrict you from buying more. They actually automatically sold shares on behalf of people who held them. To me, both of those things seem super shady, right? Like if it's legal to do short selling and no one cared that was going on forever, right? Like that was an accepted part of how to operate a hedge fund was to short sell. But now all of a sudden you have a bunch of Redditors making money and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, we need to put, we need to put a stop to this. That's what I I don't like. I, I agree. There was some manipulation there, but also you're, I think you're mischaracterizing it a little bit. I mean, there are circuit breakers built into the stock market where if a stock That's is for the market is, as a whole, not for individual no, no, stocks. No, for individual stocks too. I, I heard this on, uh, I can't remember. I think it was NPR money or something. They're talking about there. Some of the things that occurred were actually circuit breakers related to a specific stock. Like if, if the movement seems atypical, which in this case, the movement was very atypical, right? That's not, you know, going back to your example of Garfield school and learning like, oh, I like to I like this stock. Usually, you know, a stampede doesn't occur where a stock increases by however many thousand percent within, you know, a couple of days. But I mean, it, it does appear that Robin Hood took steps to put the kibosh on this. And I, yeah, minute, I don't I, know. I want to make a distinction, though, between the circuit breakers that you're talking about are they are you know, they are regulations that are in place to protect the market from exploding on itself. My understanding is that the stock exchanges never limited the trading of the stock. It was individual private companies that were the portals through which you and I could trade stocks that unilaterally decided that they were going to put a stop to this. You're right. But Robinhood may have been concerned that they were going to get, you know, embroiled in some sort of an securities and exchange commission investigation. You know why I think that's bullshit? They said that after the fact. They did not make that clear when they were doing it. They do it. They communicated that the day after. I don't believe it. Like I, I think well, that what this, do you think I think that actually is? ought to be investigated because I just well, I yeah. don't I don't believe it. This whole this whole thing does need to be investigated. I agree there. We need we need straight answers on it. But, you know, I I believe that this they were looking at this and thinking like, uh, how could we be on the line for this? I'm not going to bat for Robin Hood at all, though I am a Robin Hood user and I do enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think this whole this whole event kind of should give us pause and we should look at the financial system more clearly. And I love that Elizabeth Warren, you know, was mentioning uh, I, I think we need to look into both sides of this. You know, I saw that another funny thing that came out of this was briefly um, AOC and Ted Cruz both were tweeting like, you know, Robin Hood needs to be investigated. And then AOC tweeted back to Ted Cruz. Yeah, I'd like to work with Republicans, but not people who tried to kill me. So thanks, Ted. You can Snap. if you want to if you want to do something for me, you can resign, Ted. Yeah, no, I, that's a totally fair point from um, from her for sure. Yeah, I think if you were to look at this episode in its totality from the short selling to the Redditors, um, you know, using outsider information, perfectly legal information in order to to drive the price of the stock, you would expose a system that is specifically built to benefit people who already have money and specifically built to screw over people who don't have money. I think it's really as simple as that. And I I think that is the framing that anybody who wants to investigate this ought to come into it with with clear eyes. And look, I think it's okay to say, well, you know, the reason why this system is meant to benefit wealthy people is because X, Y, Z. But say that explicitly own it, say it out loud and defend it if that's what you want to defend. But I think it's important that that is our starting point with our conversations about this. 
Yeah, and it, it, just to to go back to why I was referring to this as Game Stonk <laughs> instead of GameStop. <laughs> so you know, to prove a uh, an event on the market was market manipulation or a pump and dump scandal, you would have to you would have to be able to prove that someone knew that they were pulling a pump and dump. So you'd have to have, you know, text or something that where someone's like, Hey, let's, let's invest. And then we're going to pull our money out. But the way this happened was so organic. You know, at one point, Elon Musk just tweeted out one word, game stonk with a exclamation mark. And, you know, people really follow Elon Musk in, in the Twitterazzi. And so, you know, more and more people wanted to invest. Actually, to be honest with you, I was trying to get on the boat too. Um, and I wanted to put a couple hundred bucks in it and just see what happened. But by that point, Robinhood had already shut down trading for GameStop. I don't know if it's been re-enabled. I'll have to look into it. And also, I mean, this is going way into the weeds, but the, the word stonk, if you Google it, it's an old meme of a weird cartoonified man in front of a chart that has that zigzaggy upward line. It says stonks, and it's supposed to be <laughs> kind of making fun of people who care about stocks. Like, that's the impetus yeah, for that. Right. Um, and, and look, like, I think that it is important that if we have markets that have certain rules and we find that the rules that we have lead to unintended consequences, that we ought to evaluate them. And I think that's fine. What I don't think is fine is for trading apps like Robinhood to unilaterally shut down people's ability to engage with the market and then give some bullshit excuse the day after. There, To the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been one statement from anybody from the SEC or any other regulatory commission that said, yes, we wanted Robinhood to shut down trading on the stock. I haven't seen that. That is, I th again, I think that is something- What do you, what do you think their motivation was? I mean, that you seem to be- invest, a that, that, that apps like Robinhood rely on hedge funds in order to get funding. For example, I think that they, I think it is as simple as they were trying to protect their own sources of income under the guise of, well, gee, we thought something weird was going on. Like, and that's why I think there ought to be an investigation into how trading was limited. I mean, you look at the line for the, the value of this stock, it goes up, 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 up. And then you see it dip down. That's when limiting was traded. And now that restriction has been lifted and you see the line going back up again, because people are saying we need to hold on to this in order to continue screwing over the hedge fund managers whether or not you think that's a good thing that's up to your judgment i think it's kind of funny and i think it's a good example of people using the system against the people that it usually benefits but i'm just like this cannot be that we're just leaving up to individual companies whether common people are finally able to benefit from something that for very long has not benefited them yeah it is it is really Sounds fascinating like you completely agree with every point i made thank you alex no i i, I think <laughs> I don't like a lot of these. Like I said, I, I feel like a lot of these financial instruments are without inherent value. I really do. And I, honestly, I approach the stock market with caution and with a, a fairly large level of skepticism. I, I'm not saying there's no role for it. I, I like I said, I, I like to play in stocks, too. I have Robin Hood. I think it's fun. I'm probably going to put a couple hundred bucks on GameStop just so I can be part of the movement, you know, but you know, philosophically, I just am kind of old school. I like the idea of producing something, bringing it to market. You know, that that old school example you gave. I just feel like it's it's more inherently helpful for society. Um, no, I, I did want to I, I did want to mention that. 
You know, the guy who's rolled up in this, his name is uh, Jaime Rogozinski, I guess, the guy who started um, Reddit Wall Street Bets. He's he's he, he was in a, an interview on NPR talking about how fascinating this was to watch. And his quote on it is, uh, quote, this is a great conversation that the whole world is having right now. It's the democratization of financial markets. We're giving a voice to the people uh, who previously didn't have one, end quote. Yeah. And I think it's worth it's worth thinking about. Definitely, it's worth thinking. About. I think just think it's a very fascinating chapter on the stock market. And again, I think it's important that people like Elizabeth Warren, who has a long history in financial regulation, that's where she got her start in government, right? It's important that... If we want to talk about this in its totality, I think that's totally fine. I welcome those conversations. But I do think it's through that lens that that Jaime just outlined. It needs to be through, wow, this has exposed how our financial markets do not benefit common people and do benefit people who already have money. And again, if, if you are okay with that, you should just come on the record and say so, right? Let people decide whether or not your elected officials or your regulators are the right people for those roles if that is fundamentally how they approach this stuff. So I just think I, I think taking that broad view is important with all of this. And I think it's really important that you and I take the broad view that we're going to have to table our discussion for the week because we have reached our our weekly limit. We um, have- I'm looking we, oh, have, we have we have set the table. We've put the food out. We've eaten all of it, and we have left everybody with scraps. Uh, There's nothing but a chicken bone. I'm gonna crack the bone open. We've sucked the marrow out. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to get back together with you again next week, and we do. We're gonna look at how the Democrats winning those two seats in Georgia is affecting actually now currently affecting the Biden administration. There's a lot to get into with that. But until that time, if you want to reach out to us, we'd love to see you at RememberPolySci.com. That's RememberPolySci.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox. Uh, We would love to see both your subscription and a review. If you like the podcast, please shoot us a review. And one more thing, I'm just going to put an ask out there. If you're listening to the very end, I appreciate you. Would you mind maybe sharing this show, just share the link with a friend, whether it's just you text it to them and say, oh, this is kind of interesting or, oh, these guys are idiots or put it on your Facebook. I would appreciate that. So thank you all for listening. Uh, and yeah, until next time, I'm Brandon. That's Alex. We're Remember Poli Sci and peace out. Also, Brandon loves text uh, around 1 a.m. You can text him directly any questions you may have. At five-